One of my, uh, I, I love doing weddings. I love uh, performing weddings. Um, there's so many interesting and unique things that happen in wedding planning and wedding performing. And uh, it's just, it's just uh, I, I don't know why I like it so much. I, I think, I mean, mostly I like it because I get to stand in front of this couple as they're uniting their life in, in marriage, in this, this relationship. And I'm sure that's the main reason I like it. But I, I think I also like it just because it's a hoot. I mean, it's just, it's just entertaining and interesting to see all these different people and families and, you know, aspects of life and stress and strain and, and joy and, and love and all these things kind of converging into this, you know, 30-minute moment where this life, these lives come together. But... Seriously, one of my favorite parts is uh, after the ceremony has taken place, when somewhere in the middle of a reception that's usually going like full on, you know, lots of fun happening and, and uh, food being eaten and everything else, I, I call the, the maid of honor or the matron of honor and I, the best man together and the, usually the, the new, uh, newlyweds. And I call them together for the signing of the marriage license. Now, sometimes people get the photographer, they make a really big deal out of it, and I'm like, you know, sign in, and they're signing, and we're all posing together. Other times, it's a little bit less um, dramatic. Uh, only one time in my experience thus far has a couple forgotten to get their wedding license. That was a problem. Uh, <laughs> Actually, two times it's sort of happened, and we've been able to work it out both times. But, but what an important time it is after we have, we, have, we, have, we have had this interaction where they have committed themselves to one another as husband and wife before the Lord. And then to go and with their witnesses and with my signature to, to really make that like on the dotted line, not only before the Lord, but before the state, which is of significance as well. This is part of that marriage covenant, that, that relationship, that agreement that these two people are entering into for a lifetime. And whether it's the vows that they say, the pronouncement that I get to make, and included in that, they're signing on the dotted line. Here are two people entering into a relationship that is not to be torn apart. What a beautiful image it is, I hope that you're able to get, of, of this, this, this coming together, this image, this, or this agreement, this relationship that is established in, in covenant. I'm coming up on... My wife's not in here. She's with the children. So I can, I'm coming up on 25 years of marriage in May. That is just incredible. But uh, I'm so thankful for the covenant that my wife and I entered into 25 years ago nearly. And for that covenant that will endure uh, in, in the years to come. So grateful. So we're talking about covenant in these weeks. And I want to just give you that image to keep sort of drawing out for us what it means to be living in covenant, 
what it means to be experiencing this kind of a relationship with God and with each other as well. And today we're going to read a scripture together that, that uh, may at first seem very different than the two covenants that we've read previously, but, but gives us another window, another vantage point into this whole idea of covenant. And it's a very familiar passage to you. Once you turn there, uh, you will recognize it immediately. But it's in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We're going to read verses 1 to 17. Most of you probably have heard this before, but it's always good to hear it again. Let's stand together, can we, as I read this? Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 17. And that may be a little bit hard to see. I don't know if you can put a black screen. There, that's much better probably. At the end, I'll say this word of the Lord, and you can say, thanks be to God. Then God gave the people these, all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me, God says. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me, and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember, to observe the Sabbath day to keep, by keeping it holy, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, to your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So it is the season of Lent, and in these um, weeks leading up to Holy Week and to Easter, we're thinking about covenant. We're thinking about this theme of covenant, and we've been looking at... uh, Passages from the Old Testament in these last couple of weeks and throughout this season of Lent we'll be doing so. We're moving towards that, that season when we will celebrate what Jesus referred to as the new covenant. What God did through him in establishing a new way of relating with his people. But what we're finding out in these passages from the Old Testament is that, that what, Je- what God did in Jesus was really just him being up to his old tricks. God has always been a covenant-making God. From the very beginning, God has been one who is extending himself, reaching out to his creation in relationship, offering of himself, fully of himself, extending all of his resources to his creation and inviting them to respond to him in relationship 
as well. We're, 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 we're learning also, hopefully, what it looks like for us to be people of these promises, what it looks like for us to, to respond with, with gratitude and with obedience, with all that we have to this God who makes covenants, this God who extends of himself. What does it look like for us to, to stand on those promises of God, to, to hold on to those promises of God, to lean into those promises? And what does that do to us? And how might that even send us I like to think of it this way, send us from the promises of God, not just to sort of be our base, but to be that springboard, these promises of God, this, this, this extension of himself to us. How does that send us beautifully and powerfully into the world? Our passage that we found today in Exodus takes place in the desert. It's sort of an appropriate place for us during this season of Lent. Think about being people ourselves on a journey in the desert, looking and waiting and longing for God to act in some new way. And here were the people of Israel in the desert at the base of Mount Sinai, waiting and longing and looking and watching and, and, and yearning for God to act in a new and a beautiful way in their lives. They were on a journey, as most of us may know, familiar with some of the Old Testament history from captivity in Egypt, and they were on their way to a new land. They were on their way to the promised land. Back in Exodus chapter 6, God had affirmed his covenant with Israel, the same covenant that he had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had affirmed this covenant, this relationship with them. He was their God. He wanted them to know that. He wanted them to know, and if you flip back there, you can later or you can now, but you can see where he... he he wanted them to know that he heard their groans in slavery. God heard the groans of his people, Israel, in slavery in Egypt. And he's responding to them. He promised them, even at that point, to deliver them from this oppression and to the land that he had sworn to them. So chapters 7 through 18 of Exodus are these stories that, you know, you can... Uh, can see this in the movies, in the Prince of Egypt, and the Ten Commandments, and all these other movies, the, the ten plagues we have here, as Moses is trying to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go, and we have finally Pharaoh relenting and allowing them to go after it's been very, some very difficult days in Egypt, but as soon as he lets them go, he decides to chase after them. And then God leads the people of Israel through the Red Sea on dry, on dry ground. And the Red Sea comes over the Egyptian soldiers as they chase after them. It brings them into this, this place, this, this wilderness. As they, and we read in those chapters how God continues to sustain his people. And he provides them manna. And he provides them quail. And he provides them water from the rock. And we're told in chapter 19 that for two months they had been on this journey and they had come finally to this day where they're set up, they're set up their camp at the base of Mount Sinai. And they're still in the wilderness. They're still in the desert. And they're not yet to the promised land. And they're still on the way. But now we read that Moses climbs Mount Sinai in order to hear and to interact with the Lord. And I just want to read these verses to you from chapter 19, just a little bit of background. Um, and, and God says these words, you, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me, 
and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And so Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together. In fact, let's just read this together, can we? We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Read that again. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Now, here is something new. Here is something different in this process of covenant establishment that God had had with his people. Unlike the covenants that we have read about thus far, this covenant that he made with Noah, this covenant that he made with Abraham, where God simply gave of himself, now in addition to his offering of relationship, God calls Israel to obedience. Calls them to respond to his offer of relationship by living in relationship themselves, by demonstrated by their own obedience to his commands. It is still grace. Let's be clear. It is still the gift of God in relationship to these people. They haven't done anything to earn his choice of them. It is still unconditional grace. And yet now, not in order to gain his approval, but because they already have it, God is inviting these people, this nation, to live before him in obedience. Now it will be mutual as the people of God. They'll respond, hear this, to the goodness of God by following the commands of God. So we read there in verse, chapter 20, verse 1, God gave the people all these instructions. It's interesting. It's a little bit unclear to me and scholars. It's interesting. It's, it, there's this, there's this, it appears that he, he makes them go through this whole purification process, and they're afraid to go to God, and he doesn't want to go to them because he'll wipe them out. But this cloud comes around the mountain, and it appears that for this moment, and really this moment only, that God speaks to the people. God has spoken through Moses. He will speak through Moses and others in the days to come. But for this moment, the voice of God rings out to the people. And literally, the word is, is there not, not uh, as the NLD, NLT translates it, that, that uh, God gave these people all the instructions, but literally, God spoke all these words. God spoke all these, all these words to the people. Now, we don't have time or, well, we probably have interest, but we don't have time to look at all the commands this morning. We, that's a 10-week series, all right? Let's just be clear. I'm not going to try to do that. But let's do, look for a moment this morning. How these words spoken, these words, just have that image, not this idea. Don't, 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 don't think of these as, you know, inscribed on the stone tablets at this point. Think of these ten commands, these ten commandments, these ten words 
as being spoken by God to his people. This God who is inviting them into covenant relationship and inviting them to live in obedience. And here's how you can do this. Here's how I want to share this with you. Here's how I want to lay this out for you in a very personal, very personal way. So let's look for a few moments about how these words, at how these words spoken by God would begin to give shape to this covenant community. What would begin to give shape to these people as individuals, but, but also how it would begin to give shape to them as, as a group, as a collective body, as a nation, as, as, as God's people. More than just a list of rules for people to follow, <laughs> these commandments would be the foundation upon which God would build an enduring relationship with his people. So I want you to just think about these words with me. In three different ways, um, just three different maybe angles or perspectives that we might look at these words from from God to His people and how they how they might hit us in these in these same ways. The, the first way I want you to think about these words are as as creative words, creative words. God, God is. God is creating. You know, when we think about God speaking, I don't know about you, but when I think of God speaking, the first place that I think of God speaking is he spoke and creation came into being. He, he spoke creation into being, Genesis tells us. And, and these words, in a very beautiful and powerful sense, are again God speaking creation into being, a new, a recreation now. After 400 years of slavery, after two months of being on the run, now God is speaking to his people and he's speaking words of creation. He's speaking words of life. He's speaking words of newness. He's speaking words of hope and possibility. These are words that are spoken into being as a gift of God for his people. Just imagine that. Words of God that are for their good. Words of God that are instruction. Words of God that are, that are boundary giving and life giving and helping them to flourish in the land. They're, they're words of God that are creating a new way of understanding how to live life in relationship with him and with each other. They're words of God that are, giving, that are creating a new way of seeing themselves and seeing the world. One of the one of the basketball games that the the guys played this season, they were, I believe, four and zero, oh, maybe three and zero oh at the time. Landon, if I'm off on the details, you can fix, you know, correct me later. But um, and and they were playing the the other team in the league that was three and zero oh at the time. I'm looking at Landon. He's giving me the. They were playing the other, the, the other team that they were tied with for first place, Buena, you know, so they're just down in Ventura. We can all boo them collectively, right? <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Boo, no. Um, and it was, a, it, was a, it was back and forth. I, 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 I've been trying to limit my basketball analogies and illustrations, so if you don't know what back and forth means, then I am so sorry. But it means it was a good game. It was, it was back and forth. Buena would go ahead. San Marcos would pull back and go ahead. Just kind of back and forth. But, but Buena really seemed to kind of have the upper hand throughout the, 
throughout the game at some level, our guys couldn't quite get on track, it seemed like. And, and there was just some concern that this undefeated league season was maybe slipping through our fingers at some, at some level. And there was just kind of this, ah, come on, we got to get going. And, and I wasn't in the timeout, but Landon told me a story about how one of the seniors came into a timeout at late in the game. There's just a few minutes left, and the score still tied, or just one team ahead, just by a little bit. And came into the timeout, and as Landon has his board out, he's trying to draw the plays and everything, this, this player just spoke to him. He said, guys, we are not losing this game. That's the loudest I've ever yelled in this room. But as I understood it, that's how he communicated to the team. And it was at that moment, as I was told, that the team sort of looked at the player and they looked at the coach and they looked at each other and they said, that's right, <laughs> we're not losing this game. And they went out, and it's funny because after the game, Landon actually admitted that he sort of blacked out from that point on. It was just, you know, what ha- how did this happen? But San Marcos pulled out the victory. I think I know a little bit how it happened. Just this, this guy believed, and he, he, he spoke that belief into being. Now I sound like LeVar Ball. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. Speak it into existence. But um, he spoke this into the into the hearts and lives of the, the other players, and, they, and there's this, this belief that sort of took over. He created this, 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 this moment of, 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 of belief and of confidence that the team rode to victory. I, I just, just think that in some powerful way, as, as the people of Israel were hearing these words from, from God, words from Yahweh who had delivered them from oppression, slavery, and brought them, rescued them, brought them to this point. That As he speaks these words, he's speaking words of creation. He's speaking words of confidence. He's speaking words of, of, of belief. He's speaking words of, this is how we're going to do it. We're not losing this game, people. And this is the way we're going to do it. I'm giving myself fully to you, and I'm asking you to give yourself fully to me. And as you do, this is what it will take shape. This is what it will look like. And as we live in this way, as we, as we live out these patterns of life together among yourselves and in relationship with me, this, this new community will take shape. This new way of being in the world will take form. And, and God's speaking this, and, and you just kind of can, can hear the... And watch the Israelite people even looking at each other. I mean, they were freaking out. Don't get me wrong. They were because they were all worried about what was going on here as God was speaking to them. But you can just envision them looking at each other, looking at Moses, and looking towards the mountain. Saying, "Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this." I just believe that, that the Ten Commandments even, that, that God wants to speak creative words into our lives, even as he invites us to live out these commands, as he invites us to live out what it looks like to, to be his people, as, it, as he invites us to live in obedience to him. He's speaking not words of restraint and restriction of do this and do that or else, but here's a life that I have for you, that I've created for you, that I want for you as individuals and as a collective people and to live this out is what is the life that you've always longed for speaking this creatively into your life 
and into your community. His first words there in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. It speaks of who God is and it speaks of who they were. They were enslaved, but God brought them out. Those of us perhaps who feel it's some place of enslavement even in our own spiritual lives today, God's promise is to deliver us, to bring us out, and to invite us into a life of obedience that will bring great joy, not only to his heart, but to our lives as well. One writer said it like this, Sinai has been the place to which God has been leading all along. And not just from the escape from Egypt, the whole journey from creation forward has been leading to this place. It's at Sinai that God shows the Israelites the harmonious world in which they're meant to live and calls them to live in it. It's creating a new world. It's creating a new way, and he wants to do the same for us. How might God want to speak creative words into your life today? Um, here's a second idea. I want, I want you to think with, the, with me for a moment about these, these words as being subversive words. Subversive. Now, when I hear, we talk, I think we had a sermon series called Subversive a few Maybe, I don't know, a few times back. I forget my sermons. I'm sure you do as well. Um, but uh, sub subversive is not a good word typically. And especially if you're someone who feels like you're in a place of authority, uh, then, you know, when you say the word subversive or you hear it, then you think that somebody's undermining you, undercutting you. Somebody is trying to, you know, buck against your authority and, and, and kind of what you're trying to establish. So it's not a good word. Uh, some other times it can be a good word, especially when that authority is not a good authority. And, and we think about subversive uh, people against like uh, dictatorships or, or governmental regimes where there's where there's just all kinds of bad things. We think about people who are subversive to that as really good folks or where there's been just just really terrible leadership and, uh, you know, maybe in a workplace or whatever the situation might be and, and people who are subversive are actually bringing hope and possibility and life to, to that situation. But I don't want you to just think with me for a moment about these words as subversive words. Again, um, 400 years, the people of Israel in slavery in Egypt, 400 years the Pharaoh and the Egyptian people telling them they were less than them. 400 years telling them all sorts of things that the Israelites had perhaps begun to believe as true. 400 years of Egyptian authority over the Israelite people that had shaped them in ways that likely they did not desire, that had, had influenced them in ways that even pulled them away from their God. Pharaoh had deemed their worth by how many bricks they could produce in a day. They were beaten. They were oppressed. But these words given to these people here at the base of Mount Sinai begin to tell a different story. These words that God is speaking to these people begin to 
to subvert that authority that had been placed upon them by the Egyptian ideas and the Egyptian rule and reorient them to what is really true and what is really good. As they hear these words, they're reminded, and perhaps they had forgotten, they're told, they're informed in these moments that no longer are they forced to pay homage to any god but Yahweh. No, no longer are, will they be forced to help build false gods other than the Lord. No longer do they have to toil for seven days making bricks, no longer are they compelled to compete for their own interests, to kill and to covet and take whatever they want. No longer do they need to look to another person or an object to fulfill their deepest needs. These words are telling them a new story, a new way of understanding who they are. In, in the world. The Ten Commandments subvert the way of living that they had been subjected to. And it points them in a new, in a new, a new direction. I, I, I think about the um, authorities that we listen to in our world. And I was reminded of this especially a couple weeks ago when I went to the Apple Store. You've been to the Apple Store lately? Yes. I mean... Hey, one way or another, they're taking over the world, people. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I mean, I, I find myself, every time I go in there, I'm like, oh, man, I'm getting deeper and deeper into this world. I, I don't know if I could ever, how could I extricate myself from the Apple world if I really needed to? And, and uh, I mean, on, on the one level, it's like, well, all my files are on this and my phone and the computer and that other computer, and that's all kind of interweaved together. And, you know, if I wanted somehow to get out of that, it's like they've drawn me so deeply in. And then on the other level, when I go in there, I'm just like, boy, I really need one of those. <laughs> right? Anybody else? I mean, it's like, man, that salesperson is so rude, but I really need one of those anyway. I have, I, I have to come back in five hours for my appointment, but uh, I sure would like two of those, you know. Can you save me a couple watches? I'll get those when I come back. It's just like, I mean, on two levels, I'm, I'm, I'm sucked in and by, by my, my stuff, and I'm sucked in by my want for more stuff, and there's this there's this authority at work in my brain when I walk into that Apple store. And, and I'm telling you, there's, sit down and read the newspaper. Participate in your favorite hobby. Spend time with some good friends even. And, and these good things potentially can become authority things in our lives, when they start to say, this is how you're going to do it. This is what it looks like to, to live in this world. You, you live as a selfish person. You, you live as a person who only wants 
entertainment and to be entertained. <laughs> you, you live as a person who grabs for whatever you want. You, you live as a person who takes in your relationships because if you don't, it'll get taken from you. That, this, I mean, nobody says this. I don't know. Apple probably says it, and we do it anyway. But no, nobody says this, but, but we begin to live in this sense with these authorities speaking into our, our lives. And the ten words come back to us, and they tell us, no, no, um, there are to be no other gods in our lives. Those, those authorities, those things that seem to, those things that make you feel like, mm, I got to do that or have that are, are, are really not God. There's only one God. And, and those interpersonal relationships when we think, you know, what can I get out of that or how does that help me at some level? The, the 10 words remind us that that that's a different authority, that the real authority, the one God is saying, actually, that's not how we're going to operate by getting, but by giving and by serving and by sharing and by living our lives as those of peace and love and kindness in the world. Interestingly, I, I hadn't thought of this before, but... And it, I'm sure everyone here had thought of this before, but there is, there is, a, there, there are no specific penalties. Have you ever noticed this? There are no specific penalties for not obeying the Ten Commandments here. There is one commandment that offers a promise of blessing. Did you see which one that was? Honor your father and mother, right? It will go well with you in the land. But there's no there's no penalty listed here. There's no do this and do that or else. It's just simply thou shalt. You need to do this. As if the goal is not to somehow appease God or stay away from his wrath, but the goal is to align our lives with his and to shape our lives after God and to become more like him and to, and to want what he wants and to love what he loves and to be under his authority and only under his authority. It's not what we can avoid. It's what we can acquire in a beautiful way by relating to God in this, in this subversive to the culture way. These are, these are subversive words. Let them speak to you. When you feel another small g God starting to kind of rain on you, just starting to roll in over you, then just say, no, there's one God who delivered me from my own Egypt, who rescued me, and he's the only one I'll answer to. When you feel these other authorities of how you should live and operate in the world by the standards of the world, especially in your relationships, say, no, 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 I'm not going to respond to those authorities. I'm going to respond to the one who says, no, thou shalt not, thou shalt live in peace and love 
Let's be subversive. I just, I love the idea of the church of God, the, the people of Jesus Christ just being subversive in our world to the authorities of this world. I love the idea of you folks just tomorrow or this afternoon, like two minutes after you walk out of here or like in one minute, some other idea coming into your mind and just being like, no, I am a rebel with a cause. I am just, I am, I am not going to be that person. And these words give us that. Here's the last one. These words are, are finally, they're, uh, not finally, there's, they're much more than this, but they're healing words. They're healing words. I just think God wants to, wants to heal his people, Israel, and he wants to heal his people, coast community, <laughs> with, with these words. He wants to, he wants to create a, a community. He wants to shape a, a covenant community that is healthy and that is vibrant that is alive, that is very aware of all our issues and all our baggage and all our problems and all our whatever it is that you got, I got some too. We're very aware of that. And yet under his grace and with his strength and with his power, he, he's, he's helping us to be a, a healthy, healthy people, a, a whole people, a put back together kind of people our family, like yours, has been, likely, has been fairly sick over the last month, and uh, I got the chance to take Thomas to the doctor twice, and uh, the first time, it was just, it was the flu, and uh, I was like, okay, what next, doc, you know, and he literally looked at us and said, all right, so go home and get some rest. Like, my copay is paying for a little bit more than that, buddy. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. And uh, I said, said, well, can he play basketball? <laughs> no, better take a couple days off. <clears throat> okay, my copayment at work telling us not to play basketball. He, he's spoke the words that we needed to hear. I, I didn't know. I, is it strep throat? Is it da da da? It's, it's flu. Go home, rest. Two, three weeks later, we're, we're back. This time, Thomas really can't breathe very well. All right, thinking, I'm going to get my money's worth this time. And, and in fact, listening to the lungs. And the diagnosis, there's a touch of bronchitis in there. And I'm going to give you a prescription for a little inhaler if you need it. And a Z-Pack. Yes. No. And so we go and we give the prescription to the office person who calls it in front. The doctor spoken the words that we needed to know, that we, need, we didn't know. We didn't know our diagnosis. We didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong with Thomas. But, but this narrowed it down and gave us the, the means by which we could experience the healing that we needed. These, these words, these 10 words, the first the first set of commands, particularly healing us in the way that we relate to God, 
reminding us of who he is, fixing our brokenness in about how we interact with this God, bringing us back to this, these, these truths, reminding us, I wrote these down, that, that, there's, that there was nothing else other than God's power and grace that delivered them from slavery. That, that God is more powerful than any other entity. That, that nothing should ever be made or held onto that would somehow resemble or replace God. We're healed when we remember that God's name is not something to use or misuse for our own benefit or to make us look better somehow. We're healed when the Sabbath is honored, when we rest the way that God rested and invites us to do. We experience this healing as we live in this rhythm of relationship with God. And then the, whole, the, second, the second part of these commandments just dealing with our relationship with others, right relationship with others, crucial to bearing witness to the nature of God. These right relations where we remember that other people aren't to be used either, where other people are not just here for our benefit, but they're to be treated with dignity and respect and justice. It's like, it's God, God is just saying, you're, you're, you're broken, I get it. Be healed. Your communities are messed up. Our interpersonal relationships are hard to deal with. Experience this healing word. Experience this gracious gift. Creative words. Subversive words, healing words. This is the word that God spoke to the Israelite people at the base of Mount Sinai, giving shape to their covenant community. It's the words that he speaks even to this covenant community at the base of these mountains right here. This morning we're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. And we'll pass the trays in the rows in just a few moments. This morning as we receive the elements, I want you to take the, the bread and the cup and, and to simply hold them and to, if you're able, just to... to observe them as we sing together, and to, to recognize the extent of God's grace and, and the extent of God's reach in offering himself to us and this relationship that he's made possible for us with him through Jesus. And to remember that this has always been the way that God does it. And that back then and even now, he's speaking words of grace, speaking words of, of creation, of subversion, 
of healing even to our own hearts. And as we take the bread and take the cup, may we do so today with great thanks and with great joy. I'm going to invite our servers and our worship team to come right here, and I'll serve you first. But let's pray together, can we? God, thanks so much for, for your, uh, your gracious extension of yourself. Thank you that you've been doing this kind of stuff from the very beginning. Thank you for the covenant that you established with Noah, with Abraham, and reaffirmed with Moses, with the people there at Mount Sinai. Thank you for the words that you spoke that began then to give shape to this covenant community, what it would look like for this people now who were called to and, and really longed to respond to you in obedience, what, it would, what, that, what shape that would take. And words that would not only be effective and words that would not only be, be very helpful, but and just, just, and just helping them to live in, in the world, but words that would, that would change the way they thought about you and about themselves. It would change the way they thought about the world around them. That would, get, that would give shape to them and, and would, it would make them a unique community, a, a covenant community, a community of witness to the world. And so God, I just pray the same for us today. I pray, oh God, that, that we would be uh, a covenant community shaped still by your words, shaped by these words that we've read again this morning, these, these commandments that, that still are so relevant for our lives today that have not and will not go out of style, that give us, give us the shape for how we are to live and operate in the world today, that make us a covenant community, that also make us a community of witness in the world, that separate us, that, that give us distinction and uniqueness community of light, a community of, of promise. And we thank you that you, God, who called us into covenant, still call us into covenant, still call us into relationship, and to know that through the gift of your son, Jesus, you have extended that to the whole world and extended that even to us. And so we realize that just as you spoke then, you speak now, and you speak to us in Jesus. And so we hear, and we long to respond, and we know that by your grace, you'll help us to do just that. Speak words of creation. Speak words of subversion. <laughs> Speak words of life, speak words of future, speak words of promise. So we remember on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he passed it to his disciples. He blessed it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take of it and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup and he blessed it and he passed it and said, this is my blood shed for you, the symbol 
of this new covenant for your forgiveness. Take of it and drink. And each time you do this, remember me. And so, Father, this morning we remember. We remember and we give thanks with great joy. We do celebrate an open table at this church. And so if you're a follower of Jesus or one seeking to follow Jesus, we hope that you'll take the bread and the cup as they come to you. If you're able, again, hold it. And I'll come again and lead us as we eat and drink together. Bless you.